Well, hello and welcome to Emmanuel. Good morning. How are you feeling today, church? I, it's amazing that I get to do this every single week or almost every single week. What a privilege it is for me to be able to stand up here and talk, try to talk on behalf of God and uh, present truth to him. It's a joy. It's a privilege. I love you. I hope this has uh, been a blessing to you thus far. Did you guys enjoy the worship set today? Incredible. Our team does a great job every single week in taking us to this place where we can show appreciation and love for the God that's created us and made us. And so I uh, also want to welcome those of you who are watching online today, right now. Uh, we have some folks watching, last, at least we did last week in the Philippines. Isn't that crazy? Uh, the Philippines, Mexico, Hawaii, a lot of people watching in Hawaii right now. So if you're watching in Hawaii, uh, we wish we were with you. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but we welcome you as well, wherever you're watching across the United States. Thanks for tuning in. And so we're wrapping up a series today called Mixtape. And it's the first time we've ever done a series on music. Can you imagine that? It's incredible. Or at least since I've been the senior pastor here at the church for 10 years or so, uh, we've never focused in and talked about music for a couple of weeks or even for one particular talk. And so uh, music is powerful. It's everywhere. Have you noticed that? Everywhere you go, in an, it's even in an elevator. They, you know, they have this thing called elevator music. You go into a coffee shop, there's music. Go to a grocery store, there's music. You know, you go, you know there's a birthday party, there's music. You know, I was at a, you know, sort of a birthday party thing last night. We sang, we sang some songs and, and for my father-in-law and mother-in-law, and it was their birthday. So you go to a funeral, there's music. A wedding, there's music. You go everywhere, there's, there's music. Why? Why is music everywhere in our lives? And the reason is because music is powerful. It moves us. It affects us. It changes our emotional state for positive or negative. It also impacts, if you were here last week and you watched, it also impacts our behavior. There is a lot of science and research today that shows there is a cause and effect relationship between music and our actions and our behavior. And so we've been talking about leveraging music for good instead of for harm. I've challenged you to be strategic with your music in light of the fact that it affects us emotionally. And that really is the ball game, right? How we feel really determines the quality of our experiences in life. And so how many of you have been strategic with your music since this series has started? Maybe you've, you've changed up some music. Okay, okay, I need to do a little better job preaching and persuading uh, to get you to take action. Because without action, and we stay where we are, right? So, so today, today, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about worship and music. We're going to talk about how these things are not connected, and then we're also going to talk about how they are connected, or how they're not connected and how they are connected. So if you're a note taker, which I encourage you to take notes because we forget most of what we don't write down, and remember about 95% of the stuff we do write down. So grab bulletin when you walk in or worship God and make sure that you take notes. And if you're watching online, there's an, on our app, there's also some notes on our app there. So here's what I want to start with today, kind of, kind of get into this thing. Music is not worship. Music is not worship. And worship is not music. A lot of times in the church world, in the Christian world, we condense or try to squeeze this idea of worship into this category of music. In fact, there's a whole genre of music called worship music, right? You can type it in, you could Google it, or you could get it on Spotify, or you can say, I want to listen to some worship music. So there's a tendency to think that worship gets reduced down to this category of music, and it's just not true. In fact, years ago, I don't think we really do this at this church necessarily, but years ago, uh, the greeters at the front door of a church would say to all of the guests coming into church, or the members coming into church, they would say, welcome to 
Worship, yeah. As if the only time that you're going to worship God is on Sunday morning for an hour. I mean, this is craziness. This is madness, right? Music has been reduced down and squeezed into this, this, this place or this spot where we sing some songs to God. In fact, is it possible to sing some songs about God and not worship? Yes or no? Yeah, some of you did it this morning. <laughs> it's like, how did he know? Because I just, uh, anyway. It's possible, it's possible to sing songs up even about God and not worship. Because worship is not music, and music is not worship. Let me show you what worship really is. Worship is valuing something or someone as supreme. And I promise at the end of this talk, I'm going to wrap things back up and show you how music and worship go together. But first, I want to talk about what worship is. It's valuing something as most important in your life. Now, we've all done this because we're creatures of worship. You're created to worship. We look at a couple, and we know that a couple that's dating or a couple that's newly married or engaged, and we say, wow, she worships him, or he worships her. Have, Have you not heard that said? Have you not described somebody that way? Right? Or you look at parents with a brand new child, and, and they say those parents worship their, their children or their child. Or you look at a person who's working, you know, 12-hour days, 13-hour days, and, and they're just, just all about their job. We could say that he or she worships their job, right? What do we mean when we say those types of things? We mean that that job or that person or that thing is most important in their life. And so they're dedicating all of their focus and all of their time and all of their energy towards that thing. That's what worship looks like. I remember doing this in high school. I worshiped basketball. All of my attention, all of my energy went to, fo- went to practicing basketball, playing basketball, thinking about basketball, looking at the numbers looking at my statistics. It was all consuming. It was the most valuable thing in my life. I also remember worshiping Michael Jordan sneakers. (laughs) A lot of my time, a lot of my focus, a lot of my attention, all of the dollars that I would save from my paper route, I delivered the New York Daily News. I remember like it was yesterday, every morning at 6 (laughs) a.m. Obnoxious. That's what that was. I would take all of the tips and I would save it up, save it up, save it up, save it up till I had about $100. Back then, they were about $100, not $150, not $200. And I would buy those sneakers. And then when I got those sneakers, oh, you know, it's almost like I never wore them. Because if you wore them, they get dirty. <laughs> so that's what it looks like to worship. You're valuing something as supreme. You do it. Right now, you can think of the thing that you worship right now. You could. Could be the way you look. Could be the money that you make, could be the stuff that you have, could be the person you're sitting next to, could be the child that you brought into this world. You are a worshiping creature. You're created to worship. Here's the the issue. If you're taking notes, I want you to see this. When we worship anything other than God, capital G, that's important because there's only one. You agree with this? Yes or no? There's only one. It's not a plurality of gods, it's just one. When we worship, when you worship anything other than God, the creator, it's called, say it with me, idolatry. Idolatry is simply when you value something more than you value God. It's something you put your hope in for life. Something that you trust in to give you what your soul is looking for. That's idolatry. Back in the Old Testament, they'd make carved images of idols and stone and metal and wood. And I don't know why they would do that, but that's just what they would do. And they would think that those things would give them what only God could give them. That's idolatry. 
God simply says, do not do this. In fact, everybody familiar with the Ten Commandments? Maybe you can't quote them. Maybe you can't list them out in your mind. We probably know what the first one is, right? You know what the first one is? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Watch this. First commandment. You must not have any other lowercase. Notice that? Lowercase, because there's no other gods but me. He says, do not commit idolatry. In other words, God is saying, you must value me above everything and everyone. I am supreme. Now, when you hear that from our kind of like maybe humanistic perspective or from our own you know, human understanding, doesn't that sound at first glance like God is a little insecure? Doesn't that sound that way? Or that God is maybe on an ego trip or maybe he's ego-centered. Hey, dude, it's all about me. Hey, pay attention. Me, right here, number one. Value me above all else, right? It could sort of feel that way. Kind of has that, that sound to it. Is God insecure? Is he worried about you falling in love with something else or valuing someone or something more than him? Is he worried about that? And so out of his insecurity, he's saying, don't do it! Or I'll get you. Is that God? Is he ego-centered? I don't think so. See, the reason I think that God tells us not to have any idols is because idolatry will ruin your life. Idolatry will ruin, when you value something or someone as more important than God, it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your soul. You, you know people like this, they value money and because money has become their God, they've given up their family. They've made immoral choices, illegal choices, unethical choices, so that they could make more money, and so they got caught. Now they're in jail. They've embezzled, they've lied, they've fudged. Why did they do that? It's because money became more important than God. And they gave up their ethics, and they gave up their character and their integrity to make more of it. You know somebody like this? And then there's people who say, well, I'm not in love with my spouse anymore, so I want to find happiness in the arms of another man or another woman. And so people go outside of their marriage to try to find what they're looking for. And they get, it gets all complicated and divorce happens and bad relationships are shattered and now they've got to tell their kids that daddy cheated on mommy, mommy cheated on daddy, and we can't be together anymore. Idolatry will ruin your life. That's why God says you should have no other gods before me because if you value something as more important than me, it'll destroy your life. God's not insecure. He's not on an ego trip. He loves you. Isn't that interesting? In Psalm chapter 115 verse 8, interesting verse, probably never heard it before unless you really dig in. Those who make idols, those who value things more than God, become just like them. Isn't that interesting? What could that possibly mean? Look at this. I look at this verse and go, wow. Well, you think about an idol, small g, right? Whether it's power or money or sexual pleasure or whatever it is, you know, material possessions, new, new shoes, new, you know, the way you look, your physical appearance, right? Those things are not God. Those things will never deliver. Those things, those idols in our lives are not authentic. They're not real. Are they fake? Could you... Could we say that? Could we say that, that something that we're valuing as more important than God is not the real thing? Can we, can we call that fake? Yes or no? So when I do that, when you do that, our lives become fake. 
Our lives become a sham. Our lives become inauthentic. We're, our lives are not real. In other words, when you look on Facebook, this is a good example, or maybe Instagram, and you look at pictures of what people are posting, those are pictures of, of a person at the top of their game that day, right? They have done the face, they have done the hair, they have done the deal, and they have got the right angle, <laughs> the right facial, <laughs> and they have worked, they have worked to get that photo, and after about a hundred tries, then they post it. As if that's real. Now, is that real, yes or no? Come on, that's not real. Most people, most people are not living authentically. It's not real. It's not a real life. It's a fake life. They prop themselves up with accomplishments or money or possessions, and they say, look at me, and it's all a sham because there's only one God, right? Those who make idols are just like them. Look at Psalm 16, verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another... Notice something, small g. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall not add up. Doesn't say it's gonna add up. We're not talking about addition. Two plus two equals four, four plus four equals eight. No, no, no. We're talking about multiplication. The brokenness, the sorrows, the pain of those who run after other gods will multiply. This is, God doesn't say you shall have no other gods before me because he's insecure or because he's on an ego trip. He says it because he loves us. And he wants us to find real life, true life in him. So in 1 John chapter 5, this is, what, this is the encouragement from the apostle John. He just says it, simply, he says it very simply. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. In your soul, your soul was made to worship, is made to value God as above, above supreme, so keep anything out of your life that would challenge that spot in your soul because you were made by God and for God and nothing will satisfy you other than the real, true God, Jesus Christ. So in the New Testament, you know, it's no one, we, we see very clearly that God commands us to value him above everything else. I mean, that's just, that's the, that's the first commandment, the great commandment. Jesus, quote, Jesus said it in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said, here's the deal. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Very simple, right? In other words, value me as supreme above everything else. I know I haven't even mentioned music yet. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> this is a series about music. I promise, I'll bring it in at the end. I promise, I'm gonna tie it all together for you. Right now, we're just talking about what worship is. It's valuing God as supreme, he gives us this idea as a command. Now, any parents in the crowd today? Many parents, raise your hand if you're a parent. Yeah, you're a parent. Need to pray for you. <laughs> it's the difficult, most difficult job in the world, is it not, parenting children? Yes, amen. And there's no college classes on it either. I guess maybe there are today, but I don't know. Anybody ever have a parent? <laughs> Trick question, just want to see if anybody's sleeping. I'm sure there are a few of you dozing. Um, you've had parents. Some of you are a parent. Parents give commands, yes? I give a lot of commands. I'm the dad. So don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. A lot of my commands, some of my commands are for my own comfort, right? Cut that gra cut the grass, take the trash out, that stuff, you know. I mean, we're not, we're not you know, we're pretty smart parents, so... We, we're leaders in our home, and what do leaders do? They get work done through others, right? Isn't that leadership? 
So some of my commands are for my own, my own benefit. <laughs> I'm, I'm leading my home. And then, and then the, the majority of my commands and the commands that Jackie give out to our children, they're there for our children's safety. You agree with this, mom and dad? About the street, about alcohol, about drugs, about sex, about all these different things. There's commands that we give out and we know that if our children will follow the commands that we give them because of our experience, our knowledge, that our children will be, will, they will be protected. You get, right? This, isn't this how it works? This is the heart of the Father. This is the command. It, this is a command to protect your soul. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because when you do, it, it'll protect your soul. See, when your soul, mind, will, emotions, the place of choice, all those things, when they're centered on God and valuing God as supreme, guess what happens? Your whole life gets put together the way it's supposed to be put together. You become the person you're supposed to become. Your soul is healed when God is the treasure of your soul. And you are protected from all the things that, that Satan and the enemy will throw at you. Oh, chase this, chase success, chase money, chase, chase possessions, chase all, the, all, these, all these idols that are coming into our lives promising us joy and happiness. We say, oh, we can see that for what it is. I'm not chasing that. That's going to destroy my life. I'm not chasing that, that other woman, that other man. I'm not chasing that. I'm not, I'm not going to dabble with the drugs or the, just so I can be popular. I'm not going to chase that stuff because I Love God, and he's who I was made for. You see the heart of God? I love what Dallas Willard said. He, he summed it up this way. Worship, or valuing God as supreme, not singing songs to God, okay, has nothing to do with music. Worship is at once the overall character of the renovated heart, meaning the disciple, the follower of Jesus. That the, the heart of a disciple is, is one that values God as more important than any job or person or thing or possession or feeling or emotion or experience, right? That's the, that's the overall character of the renovated heart. Now watch this. And the only safe place to be. Wow. Think about this with me. The only safe place to be in this universe is in a state of worship, a state where God is supreme in your life. Why is that true? Again, because if you're valuing God as more important than anything else, you won't fall for the commercials. You won't fall for the peer pressure of your friends. You don't care if your neighbor got the new, you know, Dixie chopper that's, you know, driving around. You, you won't cave into the jealousy. You won't cave. Your heart will be protected because you have God and he's the only person you need. You see how that works? It's the safest place for you to be. That's the heart of a father. God doesn't say, love me more than anything because he's insecure. God says, value me, have no other idols, have no other gods before me because he loves you and he wants to protect your heart. That's worship. Now, you, you agree with this, yes or no? Yeah, you with me? Or have I totally lost you? Okay, hopefully, hopefully you're dialed in, that all makes sense. If that's all true, which it is, then how do we worship? Like, how do we get to the point in our lives where God is the most important thing in our life? Watch this in your notes. Worship is a response to seeing God as he is. In other words, we have to see God as he truly is, and then in response to what we see, we fall into or lapse into a state of worship. Listen to how Dallas Willard explains it. To think rightly of God as he is, one cannot help but lapse into worship. It takes seeing. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, it says that when John, watch this, when John saw him, that is Jesus, when John, he, he says, when I saw him, watch what happens, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Boom. 
Why did John fall? Was he afraid? Was he terrified? Perhaps a little. I mean, if you saw Jesus, what would you do? You might fall. But I think he fell to his knees, not out of fear, not out of dread, but because he saw how valuable he was, how precious he was, how beautiful he was, how majestic he was, face shining, glowing, and all he could do was go down. See, worship or valuing God as supreme is a response to seeing God as he really is. And the reason that we don't worship is we're not seeing him as he is in reality. But if we did, if we did, we would begin to value God as supreme in our lives. Does that make sense? That's what worship really looks like in our lives, to see him. And this is what happened with Moses. Do you remember when Moses uh, led the children of Israel up out of Egypt and the Red Sea parted? You know this story in Exodus? It's called the Exodus. Great story. You know, they made movies about it. <laughs> and and, the, and this, the Red Sea opens up and, and Pharaoh and his army chase after the Israelites. And what does God do? He closes up the Red Sea and all of Pharaoh's army and all of the charioteers and all the horses, they all drown. And Moses and the Israelites are on the other side and they're, they're watching this. They're seeing, they're seeing what God is like, that he's a protector. He, 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 he's all powerful. He can open up the sea to let them go through. And, and you know what Moses does in response to this whole situation? He gets up and he preaches a sermon. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't, not at all. He gets up and he writes a song. You can check it out. Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 22. 22 verses. He writes music. And he writes about how God is faithful and he's, protect, he's a protector and he's a deliverer and he's given salvation to Israel and on and on and on. Calls him a man of war and he's just a, he's majestic and he's powerful. See, worship is is a response to seeing God as he is. Now, we don't have that experience that Moses does, but we can read his words, and his words help us to think rightly about God. Same thing happened with Mary. You remember what happened with Mary? You know, 14-year-old girl gets approached by an angel, mother of Jesus, and the angel says, you're gonna get pregnant. She's like, I don't understand. I'm a virgin. You know, how's that work? And the Holy Spirit says, you know, the angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you're gonna conceive a child. And in response to that whole situation, what does Mary do? You can look at it, Luke chapter 1. When you get home, you got to read it, Luke chapter 1. She writes a song. And she starts to sing about what God has done in her life. Wow. Worship is a response to seeing God as he is. Now, in your notes, how does music tie in all this? Watch this. Music is a pathway to worship. Music, if, if worship happens when we think correctly about God, then music is a tool to help us think correctly about God, think accurately about him, and then as we think accurately about him, we lapse into naturally a state of worship where we value God as most supreme. That's the power of music. Now, music can also take us away from God. It's not, that's why music is not worship. The right type of music will help us think correctly about God, which helps us to enter into a state of worship. Years ago, I was invited to uh, Shea Stadium, where the New York Mets play. 
That's where I grew up or grew up in New York. And there was this movement called the Promise Keepers. Anybody remember the Promise Keepers? Men's movement. And we went there, and I didn't know. I was newly new to faith, and I was like, what's this all about? And, and we get there. I mean, there's like 50,000 guys there. It was crazy. I mean, the whole stadium was full. And they started to sing. And I was a little bit creeped out. You know, I was like, what's going on here, you know? And they sang a song that day called Awesome God. Do you remember it? Here's, the, here's basically the chorus. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Remember that song? That song sung by 50,000 men changed my life. Because the music with the words put to, the sound and the, and the words put together helped me understand that God is awesome and he's powerful, and he reigns with wisdom and love. And I saw a picture of God, and for the first time in my whole life, I actually worshiped. I didn't sing, I mean, I did sing, but I worshiped. I valued him as supreme in my life. And how did I get to that state, that inner state of worship? It was the music, and I can't even really explain it, I'm doing my best. The music helped me to to see God as he was, and I lapsed into a position of valuing God as more important than anything else in my life, whether it was sports or girls or having fun or going to parties, which were all the things that I was really interested in back then. All those things paled in comparison to this God that I was seeing as majestic and powerful and wonderful. That's the power of music. Music is a pathway to worship. Now, it's, I'm, I'm a, you know, because I believe that, that Lucifer, who was once um, in heaven, who's now Satan, if you, theologically, if you know all that stuff, uh, Lucifer was once um, in charge of the music in heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. And then he was cast down out of heaven. Now he's on earth, and he's, he's the great enemy. He's the serpent. His name is Satan. His name is the devil. Have you ever wondered why so much of today's music draws people away from God? Have you ever put that together? This is my theory, okay? This is my, my theory is that Satan is influencing the music because that was his job in heaven before he was cast down. Music is powerful. It can draw, it can be a pathway away from God, which it is today, or it can be a pathway towards Worship again. You and I get to choose. You know, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Psalms. And the reason it's my favorite book is because it's a book of songs. Psalms, songs. <laughs> it helps me think rightly about God. Let me, give you, let me give you a quick example in Psalm 145. A couple of verses. 3, 8, 14, 17, 18, 19. Real quick. I promise. This is a song. 145. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. It's like the ocean floor. Can't search it out. It's like, the, it's like space. We could try to search it. It's unsearchable. God, God's greatness is unfathomable. It's unknowable. We cannot know it, even if we tried. Look at verse 8. Here's some of that greatness, just trying to understand it. The Lord is gracious, and he's merciful, and he's slow to anger. Is anybody excited that he's slow to anger? <laughs> Boy, if he wasn't slow to anger, we'd all be like a, like a black spot on the ground, just kind of with some smoke coming up. God is slow 
to anger. He's also abounding in steadfast love. You know what that word means, steadfast? It's this Hebrew word, hesed. And if you say it correctly, it's chesed. <laughs> if, you're, if you ever hear Hasidic Jews talk, there's, a, there's like a, a grovel in the throat when you're getting ready to spit. Like, <laughs> sounds like this, chesed. That's how you say it. The, the chesed love of God, what does that mean? The steadfast love of God. All it means is that when you fail to keep your end of the bargain, God will not. That's what the word means. It's covenant keeping love. When you screw up, anybody ever screw up? How about daily? How about weekly, right? When you blow it, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep my end of of the deal. That's what God is like. And when you think correctly about God, you cannot help but lapse into worship. He's slow to anger. He's steadfast in love. He's gracious and he's merciful. Look at 14, watch this. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. When life comes down upon you and there's difficulty and there's pain and there's hardship and there's maybe a death or a diagnosis or a job loss or a situation somebody cheats on you or steals from you, when you get knocked to your knees, and life will do that to you, yes or no, we have a God who who lifts us up. That's what God is like. I want to be in a relationship with that type of God, right? When I think of him correctly, I can't help but lapse into worship and say, thank you that you, when I fall down, you are there to lift me up. Look at verse 17. Watch this. The Lord is righteous, and that simply means he's right in all he's doing. He will never do you wrong. You can always trust him. He's a person of integrity, and in all his ways, he is kind in all of his works. That just helps me trust his heart. He's, he's, got a, he's a good, good God. He's, a good, he's got a good heart. Look at verse 18. He's not far. Watch this. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. This is music. Psalm 145 is a song. A lot of people think that God is somewhere off in the distance beyond the stars, he, that he doesn't care. There's seven billion people on the planet. I'm just one of them. Why should I even pray? He's probably not even watching. Not true. Not true, folks. He is near to those who call upon him, to those who call upon him in truth. That's the God we serve. I don't know about you, but that helps me me to worship him and say, God, thank you that when I'm in trouble, that when I need your help, that when I need some strength, I can call upon you and expect an answer. Anybody else excited about that? That's awesome. That's not all. Watch in verse 19. And this is just one song. There's like 150 of them in the the book of Psalms. Watch Watch verse 19. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he hears their cry, and he saves them. Now, this speaks to me as a father, as a parent, because I have three children, and they have a lot of needs, and they have a lot of wants, and, and a lot of times that can be exhausting, right? Uh, it's like sometimes they're almost, it's almost that you cannot satisfy them. Anybody else parenting children today? Younger kids? It's like, I just gave you something. You know, gosh, chill out. And it can be overwhelming <laughs> at times. It can be over- But then there's some times where my children will come and say, hey, can we do this or can we do that? And I am so delighted to be able to look at them and say, yes, yes. It's not that often. <laughs> I'm like a no-soda dad. Any, no, any no-soda dads out there? No Coke, no pop, no. But every now and then, sure, you know. I delight sometimes in, make, in bringing a smile to my children's face. We have a God, that's God. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. That's God. We have a God who loves to 
to meet our needs. Now, I don't know about you, but it helps me think rightly about God. He's close to me. He's good. His heart is good. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. When I fail to keep my end of the deal, he keeps his. His greatness is unsearchable. This is the God we have. (laughs) This is what music can do in our lives. What is worship as we wrap this up? It's so important for you to hear, hear this. It is not music. Worship is a state. It's a condition where I and you value God as more important than anyone or anything on this planet. That is what worship is. And how do we get there? We respond to seeing him as he is. And what can music do? Music can help us to see him as he is. Now, the beautiful thing about being a human being is I could, now I get to choose. I get to choose, like, what am I going to listen to on my, on my phone? Like, what, what, pl- what playlist am I going to make? Like, what am I going to do with music? Now, you get to choose. Like, what songs are you going to listen to? What styles are you going to go to? You're going to use music to draw you into a position of worship or push you away from God. That, folks, is your choice. My job as the preacher is just to present to you the truth. You got to take it now, and you got to take action with it. I hope that you'll make the right choice. Today's baptism, and we're about to baptize some folks. These folks are about to baptize are basically saying, God's number one in my life. I'm going to die when they go into the water. Here's what they're saying. I'm going to die to my, living my way. <laughs> I'm going to die to being number one in my life. Okay? I'm going to go under the water. I'm going to come back up clean, washed, forgiven. And this new life that I now have is, is a life of following the master, following the king, following the rabbi, following the teacher. And that is, that is what baptism is all about. It's actually, it's actually a declaration of, of worship. It's, an actual, it's a declaration of someone saying, I am going to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I'm going to follow him with the rest of my life. These people are not perfect. They're just as screwed up as you are. <laughs> okay, and we all are screwed up. Yes or no, yeah, right? They're not, they're not saying they're perfect. They're not saying they're sinless. They're not. What they're saying is that it is my intention now to follow the master. And when I screw it up, I'm going to lean into his grace and keep moving forward in obedience. Will you pray with me and then we'll baptize some folks. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, for being a God who is not far. We call upon you. You hear us. You rescue us. When we fall down under the burdens of life, you, you, you reach out and you pick us up. Your heart is good. You, you're right. Everything you do is right and good. You can be trusted. You're abounding in steadfast love. You're merciful. You're gracious. You're slow to anger. We worship you today. As we baptize these folks, I pray that we would hear the, the message of their baptism that you are worth giving our whole life to, following with all of our heart, obeying with all of our strength. We love you today. It's in Christ and we pray, amen. Hey, as we baptize these folks, would you all stand to your feet? And kind of like at a, when, when the Colts score a touchdown, you know, people go crazy. If you wanna cheer, if you wanna go crazy, if you wanna clap, this is much more important than a, than a, a Colts touchdown. Will you celebrate with us? Would you remain standing with me just for a moment? Can I ask you a quick question? It's the question we just sang. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well?
Jesus is calling. We chose that song because of this moment. And I know, I know some of you are watching online. I know some of you in the room right now. You've come to an end of yourself and you're thirsty for a drink from the well. And, and, and Jesus is saying to you right now, come on, come on, take a step closer. I'm here, I'm here, I want you to drink, I want you to taste, I want you to, I want to give you life, I want to give you what you're longing for at the soul level, what you've been looking to for, you know, from friends or popularity or money or a job situation or what you're hoping to find in a marriage or what you're hoping to find in a, a bottle, Jesus is saying, I got it, I got it, come, 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 trust in me. Jesus said one time, There's no greater love than for a person to lay his life down for his friends. And then he went and he did it. He stretched out his arms on a cross, allowed himself to be crucified. Three days later, he rose again so that you can have life in him, so that he could give you his life right now. And that results in going to heaven when you die? For sure, absolutely, your sins are washed away. But more importantly, it impacts right now, the quality of life. So maybe you're thirsty today. Maybe maybe you're ready to respond to the call. I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. You can take these words of mine if you've never prayed before. Watching online, you can just take these words and pray them yourself. And say to to Jesus, I believe, believe. my faith is immature. I, I don't even know how big it is, it's very small. But with the little faith that I have, I'm gonna trust you with my life. If that's where you're at right now and you feel God drawing you in, just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I come with a childlike faith and I trust you today. My soul is thirsty and I've come to an end of myself. Right now I turn to you for the forgiveness of my sins and for eternal life. I'm thirsty. Would you fill my soul right now with your spirit? Wash me and cleanse me and make me your child right now. And from this day forward, give me the wisdom and the strength to follow you with my life. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Absolutely. There's a move of God going on here. It's powerful. If you trusted Christ, if you just prayed that prayer, if I, I wanna encourage you today, right now, there's tables in the back of the auditorium to my left and to my right. There's folks there that would love to put a Bible, a one-year New Testament in your hands. And here's why we're so passionate about that. It's because we believe with all of our heart that this book, the Word of God, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It shows us how to follow Christ. In this book, you find the teachings of Jesus, okay? This is where you find them, right here. This is, this is how you learn how to follow him with the rest of your life. So please grab one of these on your way out. If you trusted Christ today and you're watching online, there's a little button there that you click to say, I just trusted Christ. 
you click that button, we'll be sure to send one of these in the mail to you. One more time, can we give God glory for what he's done today? Amen. As we leave today, I just want to leave you with this one last thought. And here's the thought. Ready? Here it is. Why hasn't Christ come back yet? Like, why is this world still here? It's crazy, isn't it? You turn the news on, it's nuts. People killing each other. Lying, stealing, cheating. All the time. All the time. Right here in our community, we just had a police officer shot this week. Dead. It's it's nuts. It's crazy. So you got to ask you as as a sane person, you say, well, what's it? Why is God not like coming back, like fixing everything? And the one reason, the one reason is because there's more people out there that he wants to find his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. And as soon as that work is over, he's going to come back and he's going to make everything right. And that's why we're still here as a church, inviting people into this thing called eternal life. God is overcoming evil with good by transforming human hearts, starting with ours, right? And that's what this church is all about. And that's why we're always telling you, bring your friends, invite your friends into this place, into this thing called eternal life. It's the one reason God hasn't come back yet, because he's inviting people into eternal life and abundant life. You get to be part of that, and so do I. I hope you're excited about that. Will you pray with me as we close? Jesus, thank you for including us in the work that you're doing in this world. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be loving the people in our lives, living out this faith so that they can see a difference in our life, inviting them into this thing called eternal life and abundant life. We love you so much. Thank you for music. Thank you that it's a pathway to help us worship you with our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, next week we start a brand new series called You Asked For It. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to be talking about how to deal with stress. So bring your friends. See you next week.